a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Danny Bennington and welcome to my podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's been affected by cancer and menopause. I'll be speaking to special guests and menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and of course address the greater picture. We're going to talk about everything from mental health to physical health, sexual health to bone health and everything in between. Nothing is off limits. Welcome. Welcome to today's episode of the podcast. I'm so excited. We're going to talk vaginas, vaginal atrophy, painful sex, vaginal dryness, urinary symptoms, pleasure, lube, sex toys, their lot. And you might think it's crazy. Danny gets excited about these things, but I do because those are the things we usually don't talk about. And so I want to talk about them. I am joined by the fab Samantha Evans and by Dr. Charlotte Gooding. And they each bring in wonderful expertise into today's conversation. We want to talk about all the options we have when we're in menopause after a cancer and faced with these problems. So Samantha Evans is the co-founder of Joe Divine. They're an online sex toy company. And the reason why I love them so much is Joe Divine only sell skin safe sex toys and irritant free sexual lubricants. And you'll hear it's really important. We make sure that we choose good products. Sam has also professional background in nursing. So her expertise is great. And she works with loads of healthcare professionals in the NHS and private. And she also does loads of charity work. And that's how Sam and I met. Sam is also called the Lube Queen and she's just fab. And Dr. Charlotte Gooding is wonderful. She's a GP with a special interest in menopause care. She's based in an NHS practice in Newcastle and there she leads the women's health department. But she's also a member of the British Menopause Society and her private practice is with menopause care. And I really wanted to speak to Charlotte today on this episode as she's got a real special interest in sexual health and vaginal health and that's just fabulous. So let's dive into today's episode. Welcome. I'm so excited, Charlotte and Sam. This is going to be a great conversation. We've already been chatting and it's great I press record because before we know it, it's been <laughs> a great conversation already and people might have missed it. <laughs> How are you both today? I'm good. I'm yeah, fine, I'm good. thank you. Yes. Excited. Excited to talk to you. Good. Let's start with the basics, Charlotte, shall we? I know you're really keen in educating us that not everything are our bits below, our down below. So what are we talking about in terms of sexual health, yeah, vaginal so health? I think it's really important that I think there's a big, we just don't teach people the names, the accurate names. And I'm really passionate that we do because I'm sick of women coming into surgery and talking about their fairy. Um, it's also <laughs> really, really like they're 50 year old women and they're describing their fairy to me. And I'm like, it's really unhelpful to me, particularly in the age where we've been doing quite a lot of telephone consults. It's like, I don't know which bit you're referring to. I need to know whether it's sore on the outside or on the inside. So, you know, getting women to use or, you know, anyone really, men 
should be using those terms as well. And just, you know, the outside is the vulva and the inside is vagina. And the clue is that vagina has in in it. And, and that that it's really important because if I'm describing to people how to use treatments and Sam, you'll be the same, you, you have to you have to people have to know what they're doing with which bit and if they're putting on the outside or they're putting it on the inside because something that if there's a problem on the outside and the vulval area me treating you on the inside in the vagina is is probably not going to help that much so it's really important that is so good anyway we're not going to talk about fairies today we're going to correctly label what we're talking about and sam how does anyone get to sell sex toys it's not your usual nine to five and no. you are our lube queen, so fill us in a little bit. Love it. Okay, so it's my husband's fault. I'm from a nursing background. He's from IT and banking. And in 2007, he said, why aren't there sex toy parties for couples? And I am Summers. And he investigated it. And there were, there were parties in America called passion parties. So we did a little bit of market research. And at that time, a couple of luxury brands had come to market, Fun Factory and Lele. We'd only ever had two sex toys, a vile rampant rabbit, and it was vile because it gave me thrush and it broke down after the second attempt, and another jelly toy which had glitter in it. It was so I we had no experience of sex toys. And so then Paul sort of said, Oh, well, people, you know, perhaps we could sell <laughs> So that's how it started. But it was always with a view to sell these high-end products. And also we discovered the yes organic lubricants at the time as well. And we, you know, he created a website from scratch, never done it, came from banking. And I started writing for the website, realising that people were buying our toys they'd seen in adverts in women's magazines that we still have today um, because of sexual health issues, you know, gynae health issues, menopause, cancer treatment. So and I looked to see what charities were offering, basically. Was there any sex advice? And the sex advice was very poor. And also personally, you know, we started using the ES organic lubricants, which within a week had transformed my intimate health and our sex life because I'd struggled with recurrent infections for 20 years and had ended up with vaginismus. And I realised now that they were caused by the well-known lubricants that we were using for sex, um, which is oh. why I know I never shut up about <laughs> vaginas and lubricants. And I am known as the lube queen because I am so passionate. I've just advised a woman today about glycerin in her lubricants. So she's actually bought our lube but yeah wow. this is really important so I feel very angry at the lubricant industry because these products still exist and the vast majority of products contain these irritating ingredients that cause problems and um, but mine led to vaginismus I never heard of it I trained as a nurse was diagnosed at 30 never heard of vaginismus didn't get any help for it and it wasn't until we started using the leaves and the vaginismus started to disappear the infections became less and less um, they did come back a little bit in menopause, but then starting local estrogen, really, that, that was a game changer too. So, yeah. What is it? Tell me. I don't know. What is it? Basically, it's when the pelvic floor muscles tighten involuntary, so it makes penetration feel uncomfortable or painful. So because every time we had sex, I'd be lying there thinking, am I going to be up all night on the lyricistitis? Am I going to be itching on the wall tomorrow with thrush? Because I kept getting these infections. I kept getting urinary tract infections and cystitis and bacterial vaginosis, a vicious smelling discharge, and obviously thrush. And then so it then impacted upon our sex play because my brain would be thinking to protect myself. So my pelvic floor muscles would tighten. Um, and then sex was painful. I didn't tell Paul. Um, I would solder through, solder on through like a lot of people do. And they endure painful sex or uncomfortable sex. And he was really upset when he found out. But we still didn't find out for another 10 years until we sat up Jodie Vine and started using the Yes Leads. 
actually these were causing all the infections I was having. Yeah, it's wow. still it still raises its ugly head occasionally when I'm stressed, but actually so random now. And obviously I have a way of dealing with it. I visualize the lotus flower opening up. We just take it slow. I mean, he's, you know, he's a very incredibly considerate lover. He's just been brilliant. But, you know, he's so angry about the lubricants too, because we were using them and, and um, you know, it caused all these problems. And, and there is so much to sexual health listening to you. And then you throw cancer and cancer yeah. treatment and mental health into the conversation. And then menopause, whether it's onset by surgery, by medication or treatment, it is a minefield, isn't it? There is so much to sexual desire, Charlotte, like low sex drive, loss of libido, painful sex, like Sam was talking about. It's really a whole muddle, I think, of emotional and physical stuff. And often we don't know how to sort of sort that muddle out. There's the emotions, there's the physical. Can you explain what happens to our vulvas and vaginas when the estrogen levels drop, so when we're in a form of menopause, and what you see in surgery, what you see patients present with. Yeah, sure. So I think you're really right, though, Danny, that it's, it you can't really unmuddle it. That it's a mud. The muddle is there, and it is all those different components that all contribute to, um, you know, sexual function issues or low libido um, and issues with desire in a relationship as well. But um, when we're talking about estrogen and how estrogen levels drop in menopause, but, you know, treatments for certain cancers can drop our estrogen levels. That's how they work. That's how we want them to work. Basically, you can get lots of changes because the, the air, you know, the vulva, the vagina, the pelvic floor, the base of the bladder are all absolutely rich in estrogen receptors and they need estrogen to function well. And so what you will see classically is you'll see things like decreased moisture. Some people do get more discharge as well, but the discharge changes. So quite often women will think, oh, well, I haven't possibly got an issue because, you know, I haven't got any vaginal dryness, but actually they have, they just are having a little bit more discharge and that can be equally distressing as well. You get decreased elasticity of the tissues and um, the actual labia. So talking about the vulval area, the labia, the lips, they, they resorb, so they get smaller. And so there's less cushioning there. So some women find it really uncomfortable to just sit or particularly with the rise of the peloton in, in lockdown, lots of women were really struggling to to use their expensive pelotons that they bought that was a common thing that was being reported to me actually um the if you look at the vulva once the once um you've got lack of estrogen it's much paler but you can also get redness you actually get inside the vagina you've got like ruching is the best way to describe it and that keeps the vagina walls nice and healthy and it means that when you are having things like sex which essentially is a bit of a micro trauma that you get you get irritation to the lightning of the vaginal walls every time but the vagina can usually cope with that if you lose that lovely ruching and the skin becomes stretched then it becomes much more fragile and so that's why sex can sometimes be painful the tissues can become very thin, very fragile. And sometimes women will present with little nicks and tears in the vulva. I've had women who, you know, even if they dry themselves with a towel too roughly, you know, the vulva will actually split and they'll get little nicks and tears. 
You can get things like urinary tract infections because you get changes to the urethral opening. So where the wee comes out, that, that becomes less of a successful valve. So you can get a tracking of bacteria up into the bladder and the bladder can become quite sort of sensitive, sometimes overstimulated. So women need the toilet more often. Lots of women are getting up in the night more to have a pee. So many things. And the pelvic floor itself as well. We were talking about the pelvic floor before and we we're talking about vaginismus and the pelvic floor really needs good estrogenization to work effectively so if you get problems with the pelvic floor you can get things like prolapse and so prolapse is a much more common when we have less estrogen in our bodies yeah so and all of these things they happen naturally when we're in perimenopause heading into postmenopause and do you think they happen a little bit more drastically if we're thrown into menopause perhaps because of surgery or is it pretty much the same no I think it's very sudden isn't it It's, it's, it's what you tend to see in women who are who are going through perimenopause and menopause you get this sort of gradual change and quite often women won't really notice what's going on until it becomes really awful and then they suddenly present for help and that's partly because no one ever really asks them the questions about have you got a dry vagina you know how is sex um but when you're thrown in to that state pretty much overnight by treatment it can have absolutely devastating consequences and the worst thing is is that quite often no one will ever tell these people that that's going to happen they have to sort of muddle it out for themselves because I think we've got this kind of idea that oh I've treated your cancer be grateful (laughs) the problem is we have become really really good at treating cancer you know great and and, uh, that's brilliant but what we also need to recognize is that now we have people living with the consequences of cancer and cancer treatment and so we cannot end the conversation there Um, And I do really feel for these people when, you know, there's so much conversation going on around the menopause and we talk a lot about HRT and we talk a lot about estrogen. And I think we just need to stop for a moment and think about the women who might feel a bit excluded from that conversation because no one should be excluded from that conversation because there is a place for everybody there. Oh, thank you for that, which is exactly why I'm so grateful that you're talking to me today to provide that platform. What's so interesting to me when I was speaking to so many friends who were going through treatment and now the members in my community, they often said, oh, I think it's just a bit of thrush. So everything down there is just a bit of thrush and it'll go, or you will put up with it because isn't thrush very common and very normal. And, And that is one of the things that I have personally heard lots of times. And then women say to me, actually, I was wrongly diagnosing myself when I did finally go and get help. We're talking months, sometimes years later, it's actually X, Y, and Z. What annoys you the most, Sam? You've spoken about it before. It's the abuse of moisturizers, stuff that you can buy, I guess, in supermarkets. And what do you think is better for us to use? So before I go to the doctor, if I'm still at home, before I've seen someone amazing as Charlotte, if I'm trying to tinker with my own sexual sort of health what could I do myself you need you need an intimate regime I always say to people if you care about what you put on your skin your hair your body the food that you eat think about what you're using on your vulva on your vagina inside your vagina on a penis and inside an anus you know but people don't any old thing out the kitchen cupboard out the bathroom cupboard it's slippery then it must be fine for sex or I can moisturize a bit you know today I saw on a Facebook group oh yeah I'm using cedar prem you know, oh, I hate like, pseudocrem. <laughs> but actually, I've had customers use and think they can use it for sex. It's not even slippery. <sighs> but 
The problem is we have this intimate hygiene industry, which was created for a problem that doesn't exist, our smelly vaginas. However, it has caused so many sexual health issues. It has caused brush, bacterial vaginosis, irritation, vaginitis, all these issues, you know, the irritated, irritated urethra and people are getting cystitis. Because of the intimate washes, you know, the perfume menstrual products, scented condoms, you know, and actually everything and anything that is out there, bath bombs, walking past a certain shop that sells bath bombs in Tunbridge Wells, my nose itches, let alone my vagina, <laughs> so if I put it in my bath. <laughs> and I hear so many things that people are using. And also there are things ingredients too, but because some of these products will say recommended by doctors, it's fine to use. Let's face it, KY's got on it recommended by doctors, but KY was invented for medical intervention. So as a nurse, I always had a tube in my pocket because in case I'm having to do a catheterization or, you know, we used to put it on the end of NG tubes. I'm sure that with nasal gastric tubes as well, you know, but they were used for rectal examinations. So that's what KY was used for. And really it comes in, I'm saying it's not the worst thing out there because there's a lot of products that do, don't contain very good ingredients. But the intimate hygiene industry has caused an awful lot of problems. And the problem is, you get that itch. So you think, I've got thrush, and it's great now. But yeah, you can get caniston treatment over the counter. But when I was having problems, I had to get it on prescription. So I kept going back for recurrent um, prescriptions. But often people are self-diagnosing and self-treating like your friends were. And it may not be thrush. You know, it could be, you know, vaginal atrophy. It could be BV. It could be, you know, it could be a genital skin condition like lichen sclerosis that you're treating with this product that is not going to help. It's actually going to exacerbate your symptoms or it's masking your symptoms. You know, and I think this is a problem. And isn't it easy just to go to the chemist and ask for something? And they're not going to know behind the counter. They're going to say, oh, yeah, you might want to use that wash. You know, and I personally, intimate washes for me is like it just drives me potty. We should just be washing with water. Um, and I'm sure, you know, Charlotte, you as a doctor, but I get annoyed when I see the fact is, oh, it was created by a gynecologist. Well, they're clearly clueless about ingredients, you know, because it's got all these, I mean, actually a wash to help with thrush actually contains glycerin that causes thrush. I mean, you couldn't make it up, you know, and actually there are lubricant brands out there that they use different lube descriptions and ingredient descriptions, and actually it's still glycerin that's actually in the product. And then they have a, a, a caniston wash or a caniston treat, a, a thrush treatment. So you get, you use their lube, you get thrush, you use their treatment, you go back to using the lube, you get, it's like a cycle. Vicious so, cycle, isn't it? Yes. But you know, ridiculous. so many, so many of the products you buy, they look so natural. When you look on the shelves, the intimate care <laughs> range, they even say natural or non-harmful. And so what are you, are you asking us to look at exactly the ingredients? Please. And can you... Can you tell us what ingredients to shy away from? And can yep. you tell us what brands yep. to look out for? So basically, please become an ingredients detective. Don't just take it at face value. Look at the, the packaging. Ask your GP, what are they prescribing you? What is in it? Because there are a couple of products on prescription that I don't allow in my house, let alone anywhere in my vagina. But yeah, basically, so it's glycerin. Glycerin is a cheap um, ingredient. It is sticky. It, is, it creates environment inside the vagina and that can cause thrush it causes irritation too also makes the lubricant feel very tacky and that is not sexy or pleasurable you know so it's not nice at all so glycerin then there's propylene glycol again that's a well-known vaginal irritant 
um, irritates the sort of tissues of the walls of the vagina. That often is the ingredients that will cause stinging, not just on a vulva and a vagina, but on an anus and penis too. So we're hearing about more men now who are experiencing irritation, penile irritation, and even an anal irritation as well. Parabens, which are preservatives, they are hormone disruptors, and obviously we, we should really be trying to avoid those. They are removing them from a lot of beauty products. But you've got dyes, because you will need a bright green vulva. We've got perfume, because you need to smell like strawberries. We've even got glitter, ready for the festival season. I don't know. But also, and alcohol. We know alcohol is very drying when you put it on your skin. So let alone put it on your vulva inside your vagina. But also be aware that they're using different ingredients descriptions. So we've got sorbitol. There are things that are saying that they are natural agave. Well, that is just pure glycerin. You know, it's pure sugar. And actually things like aloe vera, that actually can cause irritation too. Um, you know, so it's actually about finding what works for you and doing a skin test on your external labia, so on the lips, just to sort of see, does it feel okay? And obviously anything stings, burns or itches, just wash it off straight away. So that's really important. So, yeah, Jodie Vine, as I said, the, I've mentioned the Yes Organic um, Lubricants and Vaginal Moisturiser, but we also sell Sutil Luxe and Rich, which is an organic and botanical lubricant, water-based lubricant, so it can be used for any form of sex play and is condom compatible and compatible with any sex toy material, though we only sell skin-safe silicone, glass, metal and ABS plastic, no jelly, latex and rubber, because they are highly porous, they absorb bacteria and they leach out chemicals, they're not good. And so the Sutil can be used as a vaginal moisturiser too. But I have never tried a lubricant like that because it interacts with your own body's natural lubrication and makes you feel wetter. And wetter is better, um, as we always say when it comes to sex. And, and it's actually, it just, it feels great. I mean, you know, it, it's, we, we're, we're the UK um, retailer of it and it, it's actually overtaken sort of the Yes water-based. I've always been a fan of the Yes oil-based lubricant. That's always been one of my favourites. But So, it's, sorry to interrupt. Is there a difference between water-based and oil-based? And is one of them better? Basically, water-based lubricants are the most common and they are um, condom compatible with latex condoms and any condom material and with sex toy materials and for any sex play. But they're not long-lasting, though actually Sutil is, uh, which is unusual. Most water-based lubricants, you either have to reactivate them with water or apply more. And also, if you were having sex in the sea or in the shower, then it's going to wash off anyway. But basically, yeah, basically that's useful. I and mean, people often say it feels like your own, more like your own natural lubrication. Oil-based lubricants, but I'm actually talking about like, yes, oil-based, which is made from plant oils, is a lovely sort of nat natural oils. And it's always been one of my favourites. But Anything oil-based will destroy latex condoms. Also, anything oil-based uh, will remain inside the vagina and the anus for up to 24 hours. So if you're playing with oil-based lubricants and then you have sex with a condom 24 hours later, there is, you know, or less than 24 hours later, there is this potential that the condom can be destroyed. You know, interesting. So that's, mm. that's with latex condoms. And then there is um, there are silicone lubes. So um, some people like them, they're quite slippery, and but you can't use a silicon lube with a silicon sex toy because it will damage the material and make it feel quite tacky. And then there are hybrids, but we don't sell them. We only stick, we've got three brands on our website. We don't sell hundreds of brands. But it yeah. is quite difficult when you go to the supermarket or the chemist and you're looking at the shelf and you see those well-known names or a celebrity's recommended this or created this brand or, you know, or you've seen it advertised on telly, what do you do? And I always say to people, you know, just check, the ingredients that's really really important yeah so years important. ago when 
is so important. Years ago, when I was doing loads of supper clubs and people came to cook with me, one of the first things we always did was look at every ingredient of, yeah. of everything we're going to use. So I always said, if there's anything you're eating that is ready-made, check the ingredients. If there is anything on there that you don't know what it is, let's not use it, let's not buy it. And so it's really going back to basics, isn't it? But can I just ask you, um, Charlotte, would you actually say to your patients, Go home and moisturize your vaginas because it will make a difference. Yeah. 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 Oh, 100%. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. It's, I, I am as infuriated as Sam about the whole supermarket. I want to go and smash that aisle down, that and the 10 lady aisle. Because <laughs> I just think it's total, it, you know, it's 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 not it's taking advantage of women and, and, and men and um, because these things you know this is what Sam's saying is based in in research okay Nick Panay he's like the yeah. god of menopause and um, he <laughs> did he did a huge yeah. research it's paper fantastic. on yeah. the different types of lubricants and you know what we know is that they need there need to be certain characteristics about them and he, there's a list in this study of all the different lubricants and half the ones that are on the supermarket shelf are not fit for purpose and they wow. will cause more problems for people than than what they're trying to treat by using them and yet the ones that are most suitable so yeah I really like yes and they you can't walk into your supermarket and you can't get those you also there are only a very few CCG so like prescribing areas that will yes. offer those on prescription and and as a GP who loves talking to her patients about sex and vulvas and vaginas it's very infuriating to me that the stuff that I really want to recommend is not on there and the ones that I am able to prescribe like Sam said I would not want them to put anywhere near their vulva or vagina wow area. I have no idea um, and that's yeah. that's really I, I just find that really really hard because I want to be able to prescribe things that are good and are based on science and research. I don't want to prescribe things that are, you know, only going to make the situation worse. Um, wow. and, and absolutely, I will be telling, I always say, just treat it like your best cashmere jumper. You got to treat your vulva, <laughs> vulva like your best cashmere jumper. You got to treat it with kindness, mm. respect. You've got to wash it really gently. You've got to just look after it. And I just cannot believe how much money people are prepared to spend on skincare for their faces yet we just don't offer the yeah. same respect to our vulva and vaginal area it's fascinating I, I just to say me. that that is an issue for me we always say invest in your intimate health and I get really frustrated you know and I've always equated you know well that tube of lube is the equivalent to three lattes well you know yeah my first manicure done yes and my first and it was like you know I said god the amount of money I've just spent on that actually and I think how much people spend but no thought but you know spending hundreds of on a pot of moisturizer for their face it's like but why are you only spending two quid on a cheap tube of lube for your vagina i just um don't get me wrong there are people out there with cast iron vaginas who could use anything <laughs> like you know oh, i've never had thrush because i thought that she might actually have thrush and i was going oh look at you. <laughs> so, you know, um but i do think this we we've this mentality of not investing and some of those products on the shelves in the supermarket are more expensive than the products that we're selling yeah my, my gp they're not allowed to prescribe yes so my gp's got it into our pharmacy which is connected to the gp practice but if she tells them to go and buy it, then they will. But actually, who would know if they just walked into a pharmacist and sort of see this three quid tube of lube and then that ten pound tube of lube? Which one are you going to buy? Oh, I see it all the time. They come up, like, they say, "Well, don't worry," because I, I heard you speaking, and I know that I need to use a lubricant. <laughs> they come out with their like 
vat of like you know 90s style hair gel that comes in those big pots and then like I bought this on Amazon and then yeah. to see my, one of my patients the other day just went to me you don't like it do you I was like oh. no, <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's really important because our you know uh, it's the same thing about the whole cleaning thing. There's these all these TikTok things that go around about, you know, vaginal douching and things. And Sam, I know you hate That's that. And steaming. I absolutely hate that steaming, <laughs> the steaming of your yoni or whatever ridiculous word they've chosen to call it now. And I just think, you know, it's really dangerous, actually, because it, it's spreading misinformation and it's causing ill health <laughs> um, and it's affecting people's sexual health. And it's it's really important that we get the message across that, you know, your vagina is actually self-cleaning. It doesn't need to be cleaned inside. It doesn't need to be douched. It doesn't need to be steamed. It will clean itself. Mm. And that's why it's so important, because it has a really specific microbiome as well. You know, it has its own microbiome. As women, we're not greatly designed, you know, our our anus is right next to our vaginal yeah. canal so there's a lot of messy bacteria down there but it you know the body is amazing and it has this wonderful way of ensuring that you know the the microbiota is just perfect and as we lose estrogen that's another thing that happens is that the um the microbiome in our vaginal canal changes and the ph actually of our vagina changes which is why it's so important that um, we don't like the pH of the lubricants that you're using as well. And all this overwashing women do become very obsessed with changes in smells, but that's only because we're putting out a message out there to women saying you need, your vagina needs to smell of tropical sunsets, you know? It, so then they're paranoid and they're overwashing. And then you just see that's just contributing to the dryness and the irritation and the soreness. Um, and I see loads of women who are just self-treating for thrush all the time in general practice. That's yes. so common. But equally, I think it needs to be a little bit more on doctor's radars as well. You know, if a woman is, woman is coming back repeatedly for thrush treatment, to me... I'm asking why, why is that happening? Yeah. For a start, she might have diabetes because thrush is a sign of diabetes. So I want to know what her blood sugar is. But equally, I'd be saying, you know, clearly this isn't working, is it? Let's let's have a look. Let's 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 see what's going on down there. What what is actually the cause of this rather than just trying to put a sticking plaster over something? So you've kind of just said leave it alone as much as you can. But in which incidents is a vaginal moisturizer really helpful and what can it help with? So what symptoms do I have to then go into a vaginal sort of moisturizing routine? Is it just dryness? And how often do I need to moisturize, Charlotte? It can just be, it can be itching, soreness, okay. painful sex. Those can all be indications. It doesn't necessarily have to be dryness because remember me saying before that actually, yeah. um, someone actually said it to me, it's a bit of an odd one, but said the dry vagina weeps and that's always stuck with me. And it's so true is that you can get like an over lubrication, almost like compensating for the fact that the vagina is dry and vagina moisturizers, good ones, not any old random thing are not going to harm. So, you know, there's no risk with them. So yeah, you know. How often? And daily? so I, well, Weekly? I would probably start by doing it daily. Definitely with all the treatments, I tend to just go really like do them very, very regularly to start with, to get moisture back in. But to be honest, there is no cap on it. You know, I would go for as much as makes you feel comfortable and is practical because, you know, they can be a little bit messy sometimes, can't they? Some, some people will complain that they're, <laughs> they're a little bit messy, but yeah. 
absolutely it's the mainstay and also uh, you can use like moisturizers on the vulva as well again not the ones off the supermarket shelf because they'll be full of perfumes and all sorts but some of the moisturizers that we use for skin conditions you can use on the vulval area you can buy them over the counter as well as being prescribed them and you know for all women that's the start of you know, you have to get the basics right. You need to look after vulval health first and then and vaginal health, and then you can add to that. And you kind of all have to keep that going. You can't just stop that. You can't just think, okay, I've done that now. We're all good. And it, yeah, that's something you have to maintain. So I address the products that I get myself. I get to know what my fairy is actually called. I start a good moisturizing routine and look after it. What if I still present with symptoms? I might be after cancer treatment. I might be somewhere in menopause. Women often don't know if their periods are going to come back unless they've obviously had surgery and I've still got symptoms. I go to my GP. What do you see and what can you help us with? Can we talk about vaginal estrogens as well? Yeah, yeah. So vaginal estrogens would probably be like the next step of treatment. Um, usually in perimenopause or menopausal women, I'll usually go in a little bit earlier with those. If women have had cancer treatments, then it's a slightly different conversation. So we can we'll come to that in a minute. But generally, you've basically got a range of things that you can use. Now, this is where it's really important you to actually ask the questions of the people that are coming to see you in that where is it sore? Where is it painful? Where are you having the problem? Because you can have creams that you can put on the vulval area. So things like Ovestin is an estrogen cream that you can use on the vulval area. It's actually designed to go inside. So it's used, you can stuck it up in a little tube and you can pop it inside the vagina. But I actually make, that's so messy that I mainly just use that as a cream around the local area of the vulva. And there's another gel that you can use as well, which again was designed as a gel that goes inside. And I tend to mainly use that externally on the vulval area. There's only two really options for the vulval estrogens. So if there's lots of discomfort or a pain or like women are finding it difficult to sit quite often, you need to address the outside area first or the vulval area first. And then you can use actual pessaries inside the vaginal canal as well. And they contain estrogen and the the main ones that people will probably have heard of is things like Vagifem. It's a little tablet. It sits on the end of a stick. And there's another one, Vagirux, which is the same thing, but doesn't have loads of plastic applicators. So a bit more environmentally friendly. The one that I probably use the most of actually is something called Invagis, which is like a little, best way to describe it, it's like a bullet, <laughs> a little waxy bullet. And it's slightly lower estrogen, but actually women prefer it because it's it's a little bit more easy to apply sometimes because you just pop it in with your finger so it can get you can get it in a bit more comfortably you've got to remember that if you've got really lots of soreness around the vulval area and you're directing a plastic applicator at the vaginal canal you know you're probably going to cause little nicks and scratches and soreness around that vaginal opening which becomes really really thin when we lose estrogen and that can be a real area of problem particularly during sex as well so quite often you want to concentrate moisturizing that area before you even start using a vaginal pessary but the pessaries you know you can you start off with like a, a much more intense regime and then usually women can go onto a maintenance regime where they don't need to use them as often in terms of women that have had um, estrogen receptor positive cancers it, it used to kind of be a big no-no you know no one no one wanted to talk to women about estrogen if they've had a cancer particularly a breast cancer you know god no we mustn't talk to them about that and women were terrified as well and they were told you know you must never use any estrogen so they're terrified 
Yet I see these women all the time in, you know, in general practice and they're really struggling with their symptoms. You know, they're, they're, they're trying all the vaginal moisturizers, but you know, they, they just really like to have sex or they just really like to be able to wear underwear and to not feel like they were constantly having urinary tract infections. Or sit um, on a chair or ride yeah, a bike. Absolutely. It's normal everyday things, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. That we really take for granted. I think if you don't have those symptoms and and, and a lot of women just put up with them as well. So many, so many of these poor women just putting up with these symptoms. And actually, I think that's changed a lot. And actually, the British Society of Sexual Medicine do have a consensus statement um, that you can actually refer your health professional to if you're having problems talking to them about using vaginal estrogens if you've had cancers um, oh, or wow. just in or just in general. Yeah, perhaps we can. I don't know if you, we can probably Could do you a link, link or something. in the show totally. notes. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. And it's a useful starting place. It's a useful document, I think, to 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 start with. And in terms of tamoxifen, I think we are now much more open to talking, you know, to women about using vaginal estrogens if they've been on tamoxifen, because we do have some evidence for some, from some studies that say that it's not going to increase your levels of estrogen because actually the absorption of estrogen that's put into the vaginal canal on the vulva is so teeny tiny. You know, it's not, you're not talking about this type of systemic estrogen doses that you would get with other forms of HRT it's teeny tiny and so for a lot of women if they're really struggling then yeah I think I think there's a conversation to be had there I would always usually talk to the breast specialist particularly if they're still under a team if they're not under a team then it, it I think it's a discussion between you and the patient or someone who's a specialist in, in menopause care and a patient I think it is quite a bit out of the realm of your average GP I think that's fair enough at the moment where the conversation becomes a little bit more difficult, I think, is around women who have been on the aromatase inhibitors. So things like letrozole, because we don't really have any direct evidence from studies, but we do have some indirect evidence in that we have found that in women who have had estrogen receptor positive cancers, then when they've used these products, it hasn't increased their levels of estrogen in their blood. And I think it's a conversation to be had. It's a discussion about what, what evidence we do have and what evidence we don't have, because most of the issue is, is that we just don't have the studies. Women's yeah. health studies are always poorly funded, you know, and, and haven't really moved on <laughs> over the last 10, 20 years. So um, we just don't have the evidence. It's like evidence of lack rather than left, lack of evidence. Yeah. And say. isn't it all about weighing up your own risks Absolutely. and your benefits and your quality of life? And if you can't sit down on a chair, and if you can't go and ride your bike and that's all you want to do and and then we would never blame anyone for not exercising we would never blame (laughs) anyone for having three or four glasses of wine too many it's normal isn't it but then we'd put this fear into people for maybe adding a 0. something percent of a risk by using vaginal estrogen and I spend a lot of time trying to convince women it's going to be okay to, to do it you know they're in absolute agony and I'm having these discussions and I'm saying you know I think this is yeah. what we need to do now. We need to give this a go, but they are so frightened and they've had yeah. this drummed into them. I can remember a woman in, in general practice who was just in tears with, with, you know, she was in her eighties. She, she was just, and she'd been told I must never, ever have any estrogen. That's what I was told. And I was like, but you can't, I, I, I'm using, I was using a ring pessary in her for her prolapse and 
she was so terrified and, and because of using the pessary and how you know the dryness she had and the fragility of the skin she was getting these awful excoriations on the vaginal canal and I was just saying to her you know I think we're gonna have to go with this but she was just so frightened and it's it's really sad but then I have other women who come to me and they say you know Charlotte I'd rather have breast cancer 50 times than live this life that I'm living I you know I'm just I'm, I'm I've, I've heard what you've said we've had a lovely discussion about it and that's what it's all about I'm not here to tell patients what they should and shouldn't do I'm here to talk to them about what what the what the options are and let's have a conversation about those and quite often we'll go back to the breast teams quite often they can be quite helpful but still a lot of them aren't really aware of some of the newer the newer ways of thinking about these things and that can be a bit difficult at times but it's getting there and I think yeah, I wouldn't exclude anyone from that conversation about using the local estrogens because it, it might be the option that's right for them. And thank you for really sort of giving the patient a little bit of control and power back as well, because I think so many people I speak to and myself as well, once you've been diagnosed, you're almost so worried about any more conversations that are necessary with any healthcare professional that you don't ask what's not really necessary. Also, because you're so worried about what they might say. And so we often don't get the treatment for other things that aren't directly related to our cancer. And that's particular um, uh, related to our sexual health. And so it's great that we can really talk about the nitty gritty of it all. I feel we need to do all of those things you've addressed just now before we can even talk about sex, isn't it? You need yeah. to get your vulva and vaginal health in order and get to a pain-free stage before you can think about desire, sex, intimacy. Um, I heard it the other day, I read it in one of the kids' books, PIV, I love it. It's called Penis in Vagina. And in the book, it says there's more than PIV sex. And it's like, yeah, hell, there's more than PIV sex. So if your vagina hurts, (laughs) can we have sex in different ways? How do sex toys come in there? Um, Sam so say we've gotten our vagina into a better and vulva into a better health how can we bring sex toys in I've never bought a vibrator for oh, myself we need to sort you out <laughs> yes, <I'm talking laughs> to the, we need to sort you out oh goodness me um no I mean you know sex toys offer such a different sexual sensation but they can help you explore what works for you they can and obviously help anybody with a you know a vagina and and vulva to enjoy an orgasm the vast majority of people if they're struggling to orgasm and obviously you know going through menopause and cancer treatments you end up with decreased sexual sensation so often people say oh actually my orgasms don't feel as strong you know so there are toys that are actually incredible that have transformed orgasms everywhere (laughs) which are just brilliant and also we have our little health brochure which gets given out in the nhs which has got slim sex toys and it's slim vibrators you know our slimmest toy which is the the little Immy, which is our own and branded toy now and charlotte was saying about the the, the thinning of the entrance of the vagina this is fantastic because a lot of healthcare professionals recommend it's got a squidgy tip it's just a silicone cover on them um, with on a bullet but you can use it for massaging around the entrance of the vagina where those tissues go very thin I experienced that I I'm a menopausal woman I have a regime I use vaginal estrogen three times a week I use yes vaginal moisturizer internally twice a week I moisturize with Suteal Lux I use Suteal for any sex <laughs> I only wash with water but I actually find sometimes the penet- the initial penetration can feel a bit painful certainly if you haven't had sex for a while as well because those tissues go, go quite thin so and also great as a first time 
because it, it's non-threatening. So, and also when people have vaginismus, they often use them with our, our dilator kit as well. But also, you know, clitoral stimulators are just a great way if you're, you, you know, the 75% of us orgasm through clitoral stimulation. We don't orgasm through penetrative sex. People don't orgasm during three penetrative sex because they're not having sufficient clitoral stimulation. But if you work out, find out what works for you, then you can show a partner. And obviously not everybody's having partner sex. People are enjoying solo sex. And it's not all about internal, you know, um, penis and vagina, you know, obviously you've got same sex couples and you've got people doing all sorts of things. So that's how sex toys can really help. I mean, you know, I was on the um, sex myths and the menopause with Davine McCall and showed this, um, the, the Lalo Sonna, show you to the screen, and <laughs> um, the Lalo Sonna, which is an, a sonic wave toy. And sonic wave and air pulse toys have transformed orgasms in the last two, two or three years because you basically pop it over your clitoris, they don't vibrate and you just let them work their magic and they just stimulate that clitoral tissue. And what you see on the outside is the tip of the iceberg. The clitoris is the shape of a, a turkey wishbone and it sits around the vagina and actually it sends those sensations, those sonic waves through that clitoral tissue and you just lie back and let it work its magic. And I've had women orgasming who've never had an orgasm before or just know that wow. orgasms are a bit there. And oh, an awful lot of women who have been through cancer treatment and it's a great, they're using these toys to help with that sort of start of the arousal, you know, to get them in the mood. You can use them in the bath or the shower, but also it they promote the blood flow to the clitoral tissue and to the vagina. You know, that that makes it all happy and healthy. It also promotes and um, stimulates lubrication, but it feels pleasurable. You know, you can use these toys on your nipple as well. So some people orgasm through nipple stimulation. But it's actually, and some are app controls, so you can hand your, the phone to your partner or the remote control and say, you know, oh, there you go. And it means that you can maintain that intimacy. But sex toys are a great way to, you know, take the focus off penetrative sex. But also, if penetrative sex is painful, then slim sex toys can really help because often people are handed those plastic dilators, you know, uh. to dilate after they've had treatment. And that's why we created the health brochure with Tunbridge Wells Hospital and a gynecologist there and how the health is it because they were struggling to get the patients to use dilators after cancer treatment and after gyne surgery. And so they were actually telling them to go and buy a slim sex toy. So, you know, that's why we did it because what you're doing is when you've been through cancer treatment for such a long time, you know, you feel like you're so medicalized. You feel like that your whole body has been hijacked and actually it's handing that back to the patient, like you said, putting the patient in control and going, well, actually normalising it, normalising sex and going, well, actually, have you thought about using this tube of lube and have you thought about using this sex toy? And, you know, and actually sort of saying, and a lot of people, the research shows when, when this conversation is brought up by, you know, medical and healthcare professionals, then it actually makes the patient feel, oh my God, you know, they are a human being and I, they're talking about sex. And we shouldn't actually have to wait for patients to ask this. It should be a compulsory part of treatment, but we know it isn't. And some you know, some of the charities are doing brilliant work, like Trekstock are doing amazing work that you and I both work with. And some charities, really, the advice that they're giving is very generic. And you might want to go and buy yourself a dildo or go and get yourself a sex toy. What do you buy? You might want to buy some lube. What do you buy? Or they're actually recommending cool lube. So, you know, it's actually, that's why I've written all the articles on the website, you know, about all the gynae cancers, about breast cancer. Personally, I feel that breast cancer patients are the ones who are really struggling. I feel like, they're the ones not actually getting a lot of information, but I'm thinking it's because we're treating a lot of younger people now with breast cancer successfully, but actually that conversation is not happening. Um, and I saw that with working with Trekstock, 
Um, you know, I think that sometimes we're, we're doing not so badly with the gynae cancers because we have the Eve Appeal who are really proactive about talking about all these things. But I think sometimes the breast cancer charities and, and the breast cancer nurses, some are doing brilliant jobs because we work with a lot of some of them. But I do feel I'm frequently talking to people who've been through breast cancer treatment and no one has talked to them about their sex life. Um, yeah. Um, and you know I want to extend that really Sam because we run so many programs and workshops with young people people of any age really after a cancer diagnosis in menopause and what the majority of them say to us is that no one even talks to them about the help for their menopausal symptoms yeah. they're being told menopause will happen and that is a variety of symptoms but no one talks them through what those are what they can do about it and where to go for help so sexual health and sexual desire is at the bottom of that pile <laughs> right and mm -hmm. we often then think gosh am i with all the symptoms i have am i really going to talk about not having a sex drive you almost feel silly going in and talking about it because there are so many other things that you think are more important yet when you're younger and you're in a relationship you often think I haven't signed up to this. My husband hasn't signed up to this. We entered a marriage with having sex three times a week. Now I can't even touch myself. And so these are the conversations that go on in our head, and which is why I'm so grateful we can get them out of our heads and for other people to listen to. Mm. So Sam, do you sometimes get people that say, I've got no sex drive. I've really sort of feel like I've lost my libido. Would a sex toy be a great thing to make a start with or what? Yeah, definitely. But for me, I always talk about the intimate health side of it because then I discover that they, you know, they could benefit from using local estrogen. They could benefit from using um, a vagina moisture. You might find that actually it does feel painful. So that's going to impact upon your libido and arousal. But definitely because it, it basically pleasurable. That's the whole thing I say to people. We get yourself a simple little bullet vibrator, non-threatening. Use it on your own in the bath or shower. Use it on your own. You know, get some quiet time. If you feel then confident to introduce it into your relationship, show it to your partner, you know, if it's a male partner and they're, they're worried by a little bullet and they've got problems because, you know, these toys are non-threatening. But actually, it's a way of actually opening up the conversation with a partner, too. And yeah. I also say to people, you talked about, you know, you know, being a young um, woman who, who's been through cancer treatment and, you know, you're married. But also I speak to people who are not in relationships. So for them, yeah. going out and dating and having Absolutely. one night stands, you know, and I, I think we talked about this with Laura Mahone with, at Trekstock. And she was saying, and I said, you know, have a little goodie bag, you know condoms in your bag your leads in your bag your bullets in your bag you know you're prepared and if you say to people that you're meeting you know well I know yeah we're going to use a condom yeah I like using this lube you don't have to explain it because loads of people use lube now a lot of younger people use lube now you know it's not considered the dry old vagina for the menopausal woman it is actually we know when you, you know lube enhances your sex but it's not just for fixing the problem and it really isn't you know I use lube and I don't need to use it because I know that it just makes sex feel more pleasurable so I think we've got to talk about, you know, solo sex and, but yeah, definitely. It, and actually, if the sensation has changed as well, if it, if it no longer feels, if you're trying to masturbate and then you can make yourself feeling sore, then, you know, maybe using a toy can make such a difference. And because it's a different sexual sensation and it's about having fun, you know, sex <laughs> is meant to be fun, either on your own or with a partner um, or two or however, whatever you're doing, it's that that is really important I think we lose sight that often with cancer treatment and actually with other health issues as well you know Charlotte massively about, you know and I help men who've been through prostate treatment and and it you know it's actually anybody and people who've got neurological disorders we actually 
lose sight of the fact that sex is meant to be fun and pleasurable and noisy and messy and embarrassing yeah. and consensual and you know and it, it's a fun part of a lot of people's life and often for some people after doing cancer treatment or following cancer treatment it is the most normal part of their life you know they feel like it's actually the one part of their life that it's sort of you know to get back to it can feel normal I feel like I'm regaining my sort of sexuality and the way I feel as a sexual being and you know and even if it's just lying back and enjoying masturbating together or with your toys or you know just kissing and cuddling with a partner and you know because once certainly once penetrative sex is off the cards people then stop kissing and cuddling and then they yeah and, and one thing I, I always want to get across is that it's normal that your sexual health and desires change after a big health crisis yes. and once you've had invasive treatment it's normal how on earth did we think we should have the same sex drive and the same mojo for jumping into bed and doing what we used to do when we've had traumas happen to us and I think this is just a wrong expectation that just isn't helpful to start with but I've read somewhere Charlotte that by continuing to have regular vaginal sexual activity it's actually good for your vagina or is this nonsense <laughs> oh yeah no it probably is yeah I mean it's good for your libido because it drives libido and desire the more sex you have um, and that's one of the problems that happens is that you know in a relationship if, if if that side of the relationship is broken down and you're having less sex the gap just gets wider um, yeah. because it's happening less and less and so it just sort of drifts off <laughs> off the table so yeah I mean I don't, I don't I don't know I don't know if there's ever been any studies <laughs> but um it, it's, it's really important for people's happiness scores so we know that sex you know if you do happiness scores then um and part of sort of quality of life scores sex is way up there and that that's really important and, and I just can't understand why if you're reviewing people who have had cancer treatments because they do you know you have to have regular reviews why would you not talk to them about their sexuality um, and their sexual health I remember speaking to a patient once who had come to see me I think probably about some contraception she'd had she'd had cancer quite young and I said to her I just started I said to her you know do you have a partner what's your sex what's your sex life like you know what's going on you know what's your own sexuality you know what what's going on for you then in that area of your life and she just looked she went oh my God, you are the first person that's ever asked me about this. And I was like, but you had oh, I'm not surprised. like 10 years ago. And, um, and then, then that was another hour gone while the patients were waiting in the waiting room once we started talking about that. But, you know, it's, it's really important for me. It should just be part of um, gen, general follow-up. It, it, should, it should be a question that we ask because we know that people, the way that people think, see, feel about themselves in, in a sexual way, their sexuality it's really impacted by cancer treatments. It can affect your sex organs. It can affect your sexual desire, your, your drive, your libido. It can affect the function, you know, the functioning of sex. It can affect your, your general feeling of well-being, your body image. And so it's all those things that need to be asked about, as well as thinking about things like changes to the hormones levels for, yes, for people that have had yeah. treatment or things like changes of the function of a body part or nerve damage something like that you know we were talking before about dilators people that have had pelvic radiotherapy you know that's really that's a really important thing to talk about with them and patients aren't really going to bring that up 
so it's the onus is on is on us as health professionals I think to to bring that up in the consultation and I always find it really weird that we get loads and loads of training as doctors to talk to patients about death and dying I mean I've been to so many workshops on how to talk to patients about death and dying I've never been to a single lesson workshop lecture anything on how to talk to my patients about sex and that's why no one ever asks patients about it because people are embarrassed and they they feel it's awkward and that they shouldn't ask you know I have been called disgusting by colleagues before for talking to my patients about sex and it's just part of life (laughs) and it's a huge part of people's lives as well yeah and And also female pleasure female pleasure and female desire isn't quite as celebrated as male pleasure and male desire and perhaps and if you don't talk about it that's where you get issues with shame and that's why there is so much you know shame about talking about women's bodies and 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 talking about sex for women because we it just historically it's just been something that's been a taboo subject and that we haven't talked about but we need to make make that make a difference in that so charlotte is there anything from your practical experience as a GP and menopause specialist that is perhaps less known about, that is less talked about than moisturizers and vaginal estrogens, anything you can think of? Yeah, so the the main one that I would say about is, and there's something called intrarosa, and that is, it's still hormonal, it's something called DHEA, but it gets converted into some estrogen, mainly into testosterone, and it does that within the cells. So that is that is quite often an option that we might think of for people that have had breast cancer before. Sometimes we might think of that before we think of the vaginal estrogens, actually. So it's probably something worth knowing about. It's not as wide widely available and I suppose maybe something that we might reach for a bit more in private clinics but I think actually some formularies in the NHS are starting to get that on their formulary now so I think that patients might hear a bit more about it in the future and I think as obviously as the awareness spreads about the need for these treatments of sort of you know genital urinary syndrome of the menopause in 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 post breast cancer patients then hopefully this is something that you might hear a little bit more about and will become more widely available and um, certainly a good option sounds great is this do you think also available for someone who's had a gynae cancer with estrogen receptor positive or is it yeah. particular yeah so yeah. so when yeah so all estrogen receptor positive cancers really yeah i think i think it's I think it's a good option um, that could be explored again, probably with a specialist. I, I, you know, I think it's quite a lot for a GP to know about, but I think if patients know about it and they can maybe start to talk about it a little bit, then GPs can always refer on for a specialist opinion. Um, Sounds so it's great. Good to I know about that one. I never heard about that. Yeah. And what about lasers? I've heard loads about lasers. And when I first heard about them, I always thought, oh, it's another one of those. It costs hundreds, hundreds of pounds and it's just available in private clinics. But is it or is there real evidence that they can be helpful? I think it's really important because I am a massive advocate that we have to give people options. You know, now we are talking more about using vaginal estrogens in people who have had estrogen receptor positive cancers. And, you know, whilst I might feel quite okay about using them in patients um, more and more, and there's much more evidence now to support their use, there are still going to be some people who they might, their oncologist might not want them to use them, or they might not want to use estrogens. And I think that's, you know, that's totally fine. If you've had an estrogen receptor positive cancer, so you might just be terrified at the prospect of using any kind of estrogen. And I think it's good that patients have a choice that isn't that. I mean, we've talked about the vaginal moisturizers, we've talked about lubricants, but actually if that's not working, 
is there anywhere else you can go that's non-hormonal? And um, it's quite interesting about lasers. There's more, I think, over the next few years, we will see more and more um, about your use of laser. And I also originally thought that it was just private, um, a private option, which was, you know, disappointing. But actually, I was speaking recently at the um, British Society for Study of Vulval Disease meeting. And uh, they, someone came up to me after my talk and said, oh, by the way, I just want to let you know that um, we are doing some trials in laser treatment in the NHS for women who have had breast cancer, who have of, um you know symptoms of genitourinary syndrome of the menopause so that was really lovely to hear I do know there's some trials going on in an NHS hospital in London and I cannot for the life of me remember which hospital it was if it was Birmingham or Manchester one of the big women's hospitals anyway it was them that came up to me and said we've just used some of the cancer funding actually to purchase a laser for this I think one of the issues is is that it's difficult when you have something like laser because it is quite user dependent. I guess the way laser works, Danny, is that you would you sort of want to cause damage to the tissues in order to cause regeneration of them, and that's how it helps. Yes. Um, mm. But obviously, it's quite user dependent. There are different types of laser, and when you're trying to do studies and gather evidence on safety, sometimes things like safety reporting can be quite difficult to get on oh. these things. Mm. And so, and we need to know that they're safe to use mainstream. So, I think, I think there there needs to be some regulation if we're going to use them more widely. But I think it's really great and positive news to hear that you know trials are ongoing and they're starting to be opened up out to patients in the NHS um, now. Because because I think for some patients, you know, they're just, you know, estrogens aren't an option for them and that's not the road they want to go down. But it doesn't mean that they can't get help for those awful symptoms. And that's that's lovely to hear. And can you just tell me practically how it works? Do I have to go somewhere to have the laser treatment? Yeah, so you, it it's some, not something you could do Does it go home? into your, is yeah. it a vaginal treatment basically? Yeah, it is, okay. yeah. And it's usually um, like a carbon dioxide laser. So it's not something that, you know, you can't, it's not like the lasers you get for the hair on your legs. You're not going to be able to go go get one um, and use it at home. Not yet. Um, well, no, not yet. yet. <laughs> that would be, we need quite a lot of regulation on that. So yeah, but it would, yeah, you'd have to, and especially at the moment, you, you probably have to be in a trial setting but when these things start becoming more used they become then more widely spread so um an up-and-coming thing and I watch this space I think on that one but good news thank you thank you I'm just hoping that our conversation can open up more conversations for others and whether a healthcare professional is listening to this or a patient is listening to this we just hoping that they can find their own conversations with their team and we can help them a little step further in their own journey. And that is really the aim. So thank you for today. Um, It's been interesting about our fairies. I'm not calling it that anymore. (laughs) Absolutely not, Charlotte. Absolutely not. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Charlotte. It's been fabulous talking to both of you. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been lovely. Gosh, that was so great. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. And I just love Sam and Charlotte. They're both so passionate and they're real pioneers and helping us have a better menopause experience after a cancer diagnosis. And I hope this opens lots of conversations between you and healthcare professionals, or if you are a healthcare professional between you and your patients. One thing I couldn't help but think, because Sam asked me after we stopped the recording, she asked me whether I ever spoken about my own sexuality or desire or lack of desire to my healthcare professionals. 
And in the nine years since my own diagnosis of breast cancer, I only ever spoke about it once to my menopause specialist. And that was only a year and a half ago. And um, it really hit home. I think that there is so much more to me than just looking after my sexual health. And Sam touched on it with pleasure and, se and introducing sex toys. But I'm really excited about next week's episode because I've got Kate Moyle coming on the show and she's a psychosexual therapist and Kate will add to the conversation today. And I think it's really important to look at this whole topic of sexual health from all different angles. We've discussed vulva and vaginal health today. We've talked about sex toys. We've started to talk about pleasure and we'll really dive deep with Kate Moyle next week. And I really hope you can join me again. See you then.